0: Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest.
2: Where are you taking me?
1: Are you death? This road is not on any map.
3: How much for a ticket? wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Chapter 8 Roland So you were there, right? Sardar asked. You saw the White House burn? Sardar was Jim's mechanic. He was a short, slightly pudgy kid with a wide, handsome face and skin a couple shades darker than Roland's own. This was maybe his 20th question since Jim's aircraft had dropped their transport off two hours ago. The other members of Jim's team hadn't said so much as a word to Roland. They'd all listened, though. He could see the tension in their shoulders and feel the vibrations in the air as their ears twitched and their eyes darted over to watch his replies. The fact that they were all cramped together inside the armored confines of a Mattis APC made it easy to read the room. Roland wasn't 100% sure if the young Merc had been put up to the task of questioning him, or if Sardar was just an inquisitive soul. Roland smelled a light drizzle of nervousness waft off the boy, He'd caught several glances between Sardar and Bixby, but neither of those facts were proof of anything. Nervousness was a perfectly natural reaction to hanging out in a cramped metal box with a guy you'd just been trying to murder. "'I remember pieces of it,' Roland replied. "'Fucking somebody in the Lincoln bedroom, "'stealing liquor from the kitchens, "'shitting in the ball return of the White House bowling alley.'" Sardar shook his head. "'That's fucking loco. "'You're like a history book. "'I bet I read about shit you did back in high school.'" "'Probably.'" "'Roland said with a shrug. "'He had about nine clear memories of his life "'before the shack on Camelback Mountain, "'and none of them felt very historic. "'Can I get your autograph, man?' Sardar asked. "'Bigsby, the post-human Roland had been about to arm club "'into submission a day ago, shook his head and groaned in embarrassment. "'One of the women he'd buried in his collapsed hovel grunted out a laugh. "'Her name was Nadine, or something with an N anyway. "'She and her partner, Azime were both close assault specialists.' Like the rest of the crew, except Sardar, they'd been cold to Roland ever since he'd beat the living hell out of them. Something occurred to him. Hey, I got a question for you, he said to Sardar. Yeah? Your crew's been real pissy to me this whole ride, Roland nodded at Bigsby. How exactly did you guys expect that fight to go down? Sardar pursed his lips. He seemed at a loss for a second. Then he said, Jim framed it as just a standard kill team action. We've done that sort of thing a couple of times. Last year, there was this crumbed-out Nazi in Idaho, so he tricked you then, Roland interrupted. Convinced you this was just another assassination, when all he really wanted to do was get my attention? Roland looked around and realized the rest of the transport was glaring at him. Bigsby spat on the ground in front of Roland's foot. We'd have iced you if he'd given us another minute. Roland just laughed and turned his eyes back to Sardar. It's clear you and the other guy, he gestured at the young man next to Sardar, are the only smart bastards in the unit, since you didn't get back up when I beat you down. Sardar squirmed a little, clearly uncomfortable. Me and Pedro, he gestured to the other man, we're just engineers. We don't go toe-to-toe with, uh, with whatever you are. All this conversation, the most he'd had in years, made Roland feel uncomfortably lucid. He rooted around in the tattered old backpack he'd brought with him. It contained one rusty Mateba auto-revolver that he'd found under the floorboards of his collapsed shack and 5.087 kilograms of assorted narcotics, mostly opiates. Roland remembered how fun it was to watch things explode while high on oxy. He pulled a pill bottle out of the sack, dilated, and poured half of it into his mouth. Roland swallowed, then guzzled the second half. "'Jesus,' said Will, the man he'd stabbed in the throat with a piece of wood yesterday. "'This is the guy who kicked the shit out of us?' I am sorry about that, Roland said. If I'd known we were going to wind up sharing an APC, I probably would have just choked you out. Mortar fire. Incoming. Roland's hindbrain ran the calculations, estimated it at around eight miles out. He sat up straight, since his focus towards the sound of the fire. Bigsby and Azime reacted the same way. They'd clearly splurged on the good ears. The rest of the team didn't seem to have heard. They're shooting ahead, Azime said. Sixty millimeter mortars. "'Get up, folks,' Bigsby added as he pulled his own S-30 Barrett assault rifle from its resting place on the wall behind him. "'The fuck was that?' Azime cocked an eyebrow. Her left ear twitched. Her tan, lean face flushed red with excitement. "'I don't recognize that one.' "'Me either,' Bigsby grunted. The other posthuman looked to Roland with clear frustration. "'You recognize that?' "'Roland did.' "'It's an M-142,' he said. "'Mobile rocket artillery. Antique. U.S. military issue.' Will looked over to Bigsby, confused. I've never heard of anything like that in the SDF's armory. It's not the SDF, Roland explained, slurring his words more than a little. The opiates had just started to hit. Holy shit, I love allotted. he thought. That's incoming. Can't you tell? he said. Not, uh, not from this distance, Azamay answered. She glanced awkwardly over to her partner. Nadine put a hand on her thigh and squeezed. Could you not be monstrously fucked up when we're about to go into battle? Bigsby asked. He seemed angry. Roland debated offering one of his handfuls of pills. He decided he'd much rather save them for later. First off, I didn't sign up for battle, he explained as he popped and chewed a pair of morphine tablets. Second, we still got about almost eight miles before we hit the front. Plenty of time to sober up. Eight miles? asked Sardar. The Richardson line is fifteen miles out. More mortars crumped in the distance. Roland heard blossoms of heavy machine gun fire, too, and the hums of dozens of assault drones. "'Hey, Biggs!' the voice of the APC's driver crackled over the vehicle intercom. "'There's a lot of craziness coming in "'from the main SDF channels. "'It sounds like a major assault. "'The Martyrs have pushed all the way to Deep Ellum. "'Some of the field commanders are talking about a full retreat.' "'Jesus shitting Christ!' "'Will, Bigsby, and Nadine all cursed at the same time. "'Roland thought it was cute. "'It tugged at his heartstrings a little. "'He missed being part of a close-knit team. "'Some of his stronger memory fragments "'involved really good times he'd had "'during and after the war.' He remembered blowing up an armored school bus with a guy named Mike, throwing rotten oranges at a government sniper with Jim. His brain also brought up snatches of late-night drinking sessions and watching cartoons on an old projector in the desert. When he closed his eyes, he could smell the burning manzanita smoke of their campfire. Pain tugged at his heart, but he was jerked out of his reverie by the sound of an explosion. It was big, and close enough that everyone in the APC heard it, even though Roland's hindbrain put the distance at over seven miles away. VBIED. Bigsby and Azime said at the same time. Real big one, Azime nodded. Roland could tell that the explosives-rigged vehicle had been an E-series Mercedes truck, but he didn't bring that up. No one liked to know it all. Bigsby's mouth opened and closed, the telltale sign of someone having a sub-vocal conversation through their deck. Roland could have read his lips, but that would have been rude. Instead, he looked over to Sardar. If the gig gets called on account of war, you want to uh, get shitfaced in Austin with me? The kid blinked. Then replied, I mean, of course, but I'm pretty sure Bossman's gonna want us to do the job, even if it's hot out there. Roland growled a little, without thinking, and Sardar cringed. I did not sign up to defend against an act of invasion. I'm here to fuck up property, not people. Jim says that's still the plan. You fuck up the property, Bigsby grunted. My fam and I are here to fuck up the people. A red-hot cherry of anger bloomed in Roland's heart. That wasn't the deal, he said, and Jim knows it. One of you call him and loop me in on your screen. I'll set this right. Call him yourself, spat Bigsby. He can't, Sardar pointed out. He's got a dead deck. No signal at all. True null. Why the hell would you go null, Azime started to ask. Bigsby interrupted her. It doesn't matter why this ass copter's null. I'm on with Jim, and he says you're under contract still. We'll make sure you don't have to cack anybody. For a moment, Roland focused his attention outside the little APC. His hindbrain collated the bursts and vibrations that echoed out around the battlefield. It compared them with his petabytes of stored combat data, and the last map of Dallas he'd downloaded before severing his deck. In a couple seconds, he had what his hindbrain assured him was an 80% accurate projection of the current fighting. It didn't look good for the defenders. And What if it's too much for you guys out there? Roland asked. You gonna expect my ass to murder a bunch of strangers to get you and your fam home safe? Bigsby rolled his eyes. It's a bunch of fucking martyrs. Maybe they caught the SDF with their pants down, but they'll lose steam soon enough. Those savages are all baseline sapien. We got chrome on our side. Roland shrugged. If you're wrong, I'm going to take one of your nipples home with me. Just a heads up. The other post-human's face turned purple. It grew purpler still when Sardar laughed at the remark. (laughs) Sorry, Biggs. It's fucking funny, man. It wasn't a joke, Roland assured them both. They hit Dallas proper ten minutes later. Their arrival was heralded by the sounds of car horns, squealing brakes and frustrated shouts, the songs of a city at war. Flashes of memory from this same city in a different war shot through Roland's mind. They kept him occupied while Bigsby and his squad prepped their combat gear. There was something almost comforting about the sound of men and women arming for battle. He remembered the way Mike ran through the lyrics of Eye of the Tiger before every op, and the careful way Jim had loaded his pre-battle meth pipe. The crump of mortar fire and the boom of heavier artillery grew louder and louder. The sour scents of gamma-aminobutyric acid, cortisol, and epinephrine filled the cabin. Bigsby's team had good game faces, but they were nervous. Biggs, the driver's voice crackled over the intercom, I'm seeing a shitload of hostile drone activity. Sky's fucking angry right now. Might be best to dismount Hit. Roland smelled the fuel burning off in the wake of the Hellfire missile, roughly a second before it hit. He knew the archaic munition didn't have the ability to penetrate a Mattis APC, but he still warned his fellows. Missiles are coming!" What? Sardar asked. And then it hit. The impact rocked the vehicle on its axles and bounced its hapless passengers into the hard metal edges of the cabin. Roland bounced with them, although, for him, the pain of impact was more curiosity than actual discomfort. The driver braked hard. Roland heard and felt as the APC collided with what sounded like the outer wall of a large concrete building. He smelled blood on Sardar and Nadine. From the sound of the blast and the resulting crash, he guessed the APC's front axle had splintered. Ryan, the driver, was unconscious. He'd hit his head hard enough that the trauma nanites in his bloodstream had knocked him out while they worked to stop the swelling in his brain. Out! Out! Move it, motherfuckers! Bigsby shouted. There was a hiss as the rear and side exit hatches of the APC fired open. Light streamed into the vehicle. Bigsby was out first, his very large rifle at the ready. Nadine and Azime followed behind him. The former had a juggernaut auto shotgun. The latter had an M14 sniper rifle. There were no infantry nearby, not yet, but Roland closed his eyes, concentrated, and after a second, his hindbrain guessed that the nearest ground troops were about a quarter of a mile away. Six men in Ares-pattern-powered armor followed by fifty unmodified human soldiers, a half dozen technicals, and two drone carriers. The men in the Ares suits were the only thing that concerned him. Powered armor couldn't make an unmodified human into a true match for a god-fucking-monster engine like himself, but it could give a squad the firepower they needed to do some real damage. If they could hurt Roland, they could kill Bigsby and his team. His hindbrain told him that the power-armored soldiers would be in weapons range within two minutes, Just enough time to roll a blunt. He grabbed a blunt wrap and a bag of ground weed out of his backpack and started to roll as he walked out of the abandoned APC. Sardar and Pedro had taken cover behind the vehicle and started to administer basic first aid to their wounded driver. Will was a few meters ahead, on overwatch, covering them all with his heavy M-94 belt-fed grenade launcher. The others were nowhere to be seen. Roland heard them, though, about 15 meters west of the stricken transport. He felt them take up firing positions. "'Should I warn Bigsby about the armored guys?' Roland wondered. He shook his head and said, "'Nah,' out loud. Sardar stared at him. The weed was dry and slightly yellowed with age. Roland had certainly smoked better, but he'd smoked worse often enough not to complain. He drizzled the crumbled herb into the blunt wrap and rolled it between his fingers. He licked the seam and sealed it as he watched Sardar shoot a stim capsule into Ryan's neck. The driver started to regain consciousness. Roland lit his blunt, took a hit, and offered it to the man.' Welcome back to the land of the living, he said with a cheerful grin. Pot? Sardar gave him a stern look. Is this really the time? The screech of a rocket-propelled grenade filled the air. Outgoing fire. It must have been from a nearby SDF position, engaged with the advancing martyrs. Of course there's time, said Roland. We got a solid 90 seconds until they're here. Might as well get high. The kid rebuffed his offer. Roland would have been a little hurt if he hadn't secretly hoped they'd turn him down. It took a lot of pot to get him high. One hole blunt was about the right amount for where he wanted to be. Pigsby opened up with his heavy machine gun. A vague worry started to grow inside Roland. The armored martyrs had moved faster than anticipated. Am I going to have time to finish smoking? He was thankful that he'd at least loaded up on painkillers before reaching the front. The machine gun was joined by the sharp crack of Nadine's sniper rifle and the rich bellow of Azime's auto shotgun. It sounded like she was firing tungsten core penetrators rather than the explosive dragon's breath rounds she'd loaded during the assault on Roland's shack. That was probably smart. Are you going to do something? Sardar asked. Roland could smell his fear wafted off him like a fine mist. He heard the heavy hum of a suit-mounted rotary chain gun, and then another, incoming fire. A few rounds arced and ricocheted off the body of the APC. Sardar and Pedro dove for cover and pulled Ryan with them. Roland didn't move. His hindbrain had plotted the trajectories of the errant rounds as soon as they'd left their barrels. There'd been no danger. Well, no danger to them. By the sound of it, the power-armored martyrs had pinned Bigsby down. Roland could smell Nadine's blood in the air. She was alive, but injured. Will started to fire and pumped a steady stream of explosives out in a high arc in front of the martyrs. Roland felt as the men scattered. He also felt the footfalls of dozens of normal infantry, 200 meters behind the power-armored vanguard. He heard the rich thunk of recoilless rifles being bolted into the ground. Roland puffed on his blunt as he considered the tactical situation. Bigsby and his team seemed to have knocked out one of the armored martyrs, but they were alone and unsupported. The SDF was in full retreat, and the small squad didn't have the firepower or the chrome to hold off what was coming. Roland did. But he very much disliked the idea of murdering several dozen brainwashed idiots. These kids weren't responsible for anything beyond buying into artful propaganda and lofty promises. He didn't see them as worse than any other gaggle of armed 18 to 22-year-olds in the history of war. Hey, Sardar, you get a wrench? Roland asked. What? Yes? Sardar replied. Can I borrow it? Um, the young mercenary raised an eyebrow in confusion. It's not a sex thing, Roland assured him. I, uh, never assumed it was, Sardar said. Then can I have it? Sardar stared at him for a long beat and then said... Okay. He handed over his wrench. It was nice. More than two feet long and made from 15.4 pounds of stamped steel. This is perfect, Roland told Sardar. Perfect for what? Sardar asked. Wounding, Roland replied. And with that, he was off. Bean Dad.
0: The Dress.
3: Side.
1: Roland could break 30 miles an hour at a dead sprint, but with all the painkillers and weed he'd just taken, that didn't sound super fun. So he strolled along at a brisk 18 miles per hour, darted by Will, and zigzagged his way past a few hundred errant rounds the Armored Martyrs fired to suppress Bixby's squad. Two of the big recoilless rifles fired their giant, explosive tip munitions. Roland reached Nadine and Azame's position. The former was down bleeding from multiple gunshot wounds. Her lover fired from cover. Roland felt as one of the explosive rounds arced towards their position. The other was headed towards Bigsby. Roland's hindbrain guessed that Bigsby would survive the hit. Nadine and Azime wouldn't. He jumped forward and grabbed them both while still airborne. And the second before a missile met masonry, he threw them back out of the blast radius. He knew the landing would hurt, but both women were chromed enough to survive. After he tossed them, Roland slid to a stop on top of the pile of ruined bricks they'd hidden behind. The rocket-propelled munition hit about three feet below him. The 75mm round contained a half kilogram of hexogen, enough explosive power to tear a hole in the side of a small tank. It detonated and turned the pile of bricks into a shrapnel volcano. Roland hopped again. His hindbrain made it clear that he wouldn't avoid all, or even most, of the shrapnel. Metal and brick tore through his biceps, his gut, his legs, and his pectorals. Most of the shrapnel stopped at the subdermal carapace that protected his vital organs. A few pieces went further. They tore one kidney in half and pierced one of his hearts. But Roland had multiple redundant backups for every important organ. His medical nanites had already started to purge the foreign matter and repair the damage when he hit the ground. The battle high rolled in, and Roland's synapses flooded with endorphins, serotonin, and enough morphine to kill a middleweight elephant. The chemical elation of imminent combat filled his senses. Roland wasn't just high on war. He was tripping balls. Sweet shitting fucks I've missed this. Roland flipped a jaunty salute to Bixby as he sprinted forward, past the man. This time he let his legs pump as fast as they could and rushed towards the five advancing armored martyrs. In the quarter second before contact, Roland had his first solid look at the enemy. Their suits were definitely some iteration of the basic Ares design. They had the familiar insectoid helmet with its bulbous eyes and heavy nasal sensor blister. The shoulders, chests, groin, thighs, and shin were all heavily reinforced. These were breaching suits, meant to lead in advance and absorb an enormous amount of incoming fire. The armor was painted the dull yellow of a Texas grassland. Roland could see red and blue on the edges of the pauldrons, Republic of Texas colors. But the suits had clearly been painted over, repurposed by their new owners. Two of the men had large, white crosses daubed across their chests. One man had a cross painted over his faceplate. The paint job seemed new. These suits had been captured, or handed over, recently. Their wearers moved like competent fighters who weren't used to the capabilities of full-powered armor. Two of the Martyrs had shoulder-mounted missile pods with angry-looking rockets inside them. Three of them mounted rotary chain cannons. Between their targeting systems and reflex augmentation hardware, they could have hurt him if they'd had their shit together. But they didn't, and he hit the point man like a bag of concrete thrown by a gorilla. Roland didn't even bother to swing the wrench yet. He just let his substantial body weight turn him into a posthuman battering ram. The first soldier hit the ground, Roland atop him, with a whine of pistons and internal motors. He tried to bring his assault cannon to bear on Roland, but the barrel was too long. Roland slammed Sardar's wrench into the man's crotch eleven times in the space of a second. The suit's groin armor was rated to stop a 50 caliber rifle round. It caved in on the third hit. "'Stop!' he shouted inside his own mind. "'Stop! You're going to kill him!' Roland pulled back with considerable effort. His brain wanted more, and every impact fed a few more endorphins into the hopper. But he managed to stop himself before he did irreparable harm. This hesitation made him a target, though. One of the armored martyrs shot him four times and ripped deep gouges in his torso. Roland rushed the man and slapped his weapon aside. The drugs flooded into him again as he swung his wrench up, underhanded, into the poor fellow's chin. Bone shattered on the first swing. Bigsby fired. Roland felt one of the other armored martyrs go down. Kneecaps and throat shot out. The two remaining martyrs opted to retreat, but it was a fighting retreat. They bounded backwards and launched a flurry of rockets towards Roland's cover fire. These he had to avoid. Roland could eat small arms fire all day. Rockets were not small. He shoved the wrench into his waistband and threw himself into an elegant backflip. He maybe wanted to impress Bigsby a little. He landed 14 feet back from his prior position. In the same continuous motion, he picked up two fist-sized chunks of concrete off the ground, flipped back again, and launched both improvised missiles at the retreating martyrs. The rockets impacted, one after the other, in spaces Roland had been a millisecond before. Shrapnel from the detonations tore at his skin and penetrated his less critical organs. Roland's hindbrain registered at least 30 new injuries. None of them were serious enough that he felt actual pain. He backflipped again, definitely showboating and landed eight feet ahead of the last rocket and right in front of Bigsby's fighting position. Right as he landed, the chunks of concrete he'd thrown impacted the faceplates of both martyrs at around 1,100 feet per second. That impact wouldn't be enough to kill men in Ares armor, probably, but it was enough to break most of their suit sensors and shatter a lot of the bones in their faces. Roland fixed Bigsby with an evil grin as the last two power-armored men staggered back, wavered on their feet, and collapsed. Son of a... Bixby started to curse in a low, odd voice. Guess I'll be taking that nipple now. Hey everybody, Robert Evans here. I hope you just enjoyed the chapter you listened to. I hope you enjoy the chapters to come. If you would like to read the text version of this book, uh, either on the web or on your e-reader as an EPUB, pub you can find those on the website atrbook.com. Uh, So again, the free ad-free EPUB and the text of every chapter will be on atrbook.com. Thanks.
0: Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious?
1: Binge the season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.